the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. Hi everybody, my name is Douglas Hamadish. This is another show for the Mic Drop Club. Today, I am super blessed I have my mentor, the one that taught me literally everything I know in terms about health, um, how to conduct yourself within the health and social sciences. So I have Catherine Gamble in the house. How are you doing, Catherine? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic, fantastic. And Catherine is, has um, joined us today to discuss something that she feels deeply passionate about and it's on, on topic in terms of what we're talking about right now in terms of men's health, mental health, and she has a solution she has a, a product that she wants to talk you through that can help the men out there in having those very complicated um, discussions about, you know, how you're feeling, the emotions. I grew up in a house full of women, so I'm fortunate enough to be able to feel comfortable talking about how I feel. I am. My friends are not. Mm. And, um, and as you grow up, you can start to join the dots in people's behaviors and start saying, why couldn't you just let me know that you are feeling so rock bottom? Why do we have this attitude or this atmosphere whereby men cannot really express how they feel? Um, As I grew up, I spent a lot of time trying to model myself on people like Spartacus, Kirk Douglas, um, Sylvester Stallone, (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger, all of these characters, you know, this male testosterone-driven individuals. Um, we didn't have, when I grew up, we didn't have the David Beckhams that started going a bit um, in touch with their own feminine, feminine side. They didn't have those type of characters. So I really um, had that contradiction about mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, was, I could, I could um, go, go to the gym, I could do all this stuff, but there was always a contradiction in terms of the way I conduct myself, I knew that if I was to talk about my feelings, I would do so in the company of my own family and people mm-hmm. I'm close to, but never outwardly. I didn't think that society was ready to embrace, oh my God, I'm not feeling 100% today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always that man up, man up, stiff upper lip, mm-hmm. which is, I think, synonymous to being and growing up in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we like to man up. <laughs> As I say, life is not always sunshine and, and rainbows. So Catherine, as I said in the beginning, she um, she supported me when I was training as a nurse um, and she has always held uh, mental health at, at, close to her heart. And she has a product called Man to Man, which deals with this exact issue. So 
that's a long-winded intro, but I felt that she needed the, the I don't know how she put it, she needs to be put on that pedestal so you understand that I don't, I'm not speaking to any ordinary person right now. <laughs> okay. So Catherine, over to you. How are you? Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Douglas. What I wanted to really talk about is why I've come to the conclusion that uh, to launch something called Man to Man. Um, Man to Man is is derived from my background. As you've mentioned, I'm a mental health nurse, uh, but I'm also um, done an awful lot of work both nationally and internationally. Um, I've gone around the the world helping um, teach people how to work with families and also done a lot of run, a lot of recovery programs for family members and individuals. And through that, I've just become really aware that um, with this new vogue, as you say, on message at the moment, is this idea that um, men are being encouraged to talk to other men about their experiences. We've got Prince Harry and and, um, uh, and his brother talking very much more openly about their mental health issues and wanting to make sure that sportsmen and, for example, talk to each other. My biggest concern, though, there isn't much about how. Yeah, the how. How do you do it? If you go to Google, for example, the one of the most popular searches begins with how. <laughs> People want to know how to do things. Yeah. So within the, this sphere of mental health, mm. There's a lot, and I'm um, Catherine, you're right to say it's on message. There's a lot of dialogue about it. People in the public eye talking about it, but they're not revealing the how. Mm. You and, know? Yeah. and I think that's the beauty for me um, that mental health nursing can bring to uh, to the table and the expertise because we develop such a unique, pragmatic, pragmatic way of learning from each other and also from the I mean, I'm I'm a blatant plagiarist because I I learn so many skills from the families and through the patients that I work with, mm-hmm. and um, many of them I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been asked by relatives and friends and family, how do you know how to talk to my loved one like you do? Yeah. And whilst I'm not actually um, a, a a an expert in any shape or form, but what I have been able to develop is a really uh, considerable understanding about what helps and what doesn't. And that's not just through my personal experience, but it's also through seeing other people and how they manage and uh, use their communication skills to talk about mental health in a way that means that it's encourages people to talk through those. You talk about having your sisters being around you. Yes, most definitely. And what that actually means to people to to know that women do have another a unique skill. And as you talked about, culturally, men are very much more equipped to not talk about those things. Though my father never talked about any of the personal things that he experienced. You know, I would watch him over a dinner table, you know, become sort of watery eyed when he would talk about the death of his father. But that was about as far as what I ever saw him displaying. And we, we come from that sort of culture where men don't want to talk to each other, or even if they do want to talk to each other, it is the how that people don't necessarily know what to do next. You talked earlier on about, um, signals and what prompts yes, and yes. how men know how to say, you know, how to have those little signals. And that's what I want to share. Well, only through conversations with 
um, through podcasts like this, but also to share my understanding of what those prompts might be, but also how you then take it from that prompt. If you've seen somebody signaling either verbally or non-verbally that you then go think, Oh, well, actually, what can I say now? Sure. Sure. And I think, um, going back to the way I was raised and I think in fact, I, I might be right in saying that the first teachers are women. They're the first ones that will teach a child, a baby, how to um, navigate around the world. So I think because men come second in that mm-hmm. process, we don't typically have the skills inherent in us. Mm-hmm. So we have to be shown mm-hmm. how to ask those questions. I, I remember many times I've had difficult conversations whereby I felt uncomfortable in watching a friend struggle to try and explain what's going on in, in, in his life, you know? Um, and I didn't help him because I, I felt inadequate. And I was, this is before I entered the health arena. I felt inadequate. I was like, please don't say you're about to get divorced. Please don't say you got depression because I don't know what to say mm. to you. Mm. I actually don't know. Yeah. So what I would do is, okay, here's another lager. Have that. Oh, let's watch football. Let's go mm. out. Let's go clubbing. Anything to distract because I felt I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what to do with this information when I receive it. Mm. Um, and I was terrified of that. So is this something that, that you would address as well in yeah. terms of the training? Yes. And that's what I want to put, um, that's what I want to include on the website. Um, I want to be able to not only have the, I share understanding about how to respond to those prompts, but also, as you say, what's the next step? And that's, I mean, I know that, I mean, I, I absolutely boiled down to its absolute essence are there's four main communication skills that that I have taught families, and that's one about how to listen. How do you know that someone is listening to you? How do you know that somebody is going to respond? And what are the sort of things? I mean, you're nodding now, mm-hmm. but I'm wonder. I still don't know whether or not you've taken anything in. So it's sure. sort of those elements about what am I listening for? What does active listening actually mean? Then there's a point around. I know when somebody has mentally unwell or they're feeling very vulnerable, the first thing that goes is your self-esteem. So you don't feel as though anybody is saying anything particularly nice to you or you can't hear anything nice. So it's around also teaching people how to say, make some really positive comments about each other. Because if you're more likely, if you're more likely to listen to or hear something positive that it it raises your self-esteem. So there are things to to practice around doing that. And that's what I will teach families as well as individuals that um, you can do. The the other one is around how to make requests positively so that you don't become that nag. I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of many nags. Most definitely. (laughs) Most definitely. Um, And it's how if you were constantly responding to nags, it's what happens to your self-esteem. You're no longer likely to do something. And you're thinking if you're surrounded by nagging, mm. you're not necessarily going to think, I'm going to be able to tell them that I feel highly vulnerable. So that's mm. another point that um, it's how do you express concern without it either influencing somebody to think, well, actually, now I feel really got at. Mm. But you can also do it in what I describe as IU language and IU language is I'm, I'm, if I start saying you do this, you do that, Mm -hmm. I'm starting to sound very blaming. I'm starting to sound, I'm taking away quite a lot of power 
And also if I'm doing, asking you around um, how you're feeling, I could inadvertently put it, subject a lot of my feelings onto mm-hmm. you. So you said this, you said that, you didn't do this. In in comparison, if I said, I'm really a bit concerned about you, I've noticed that I'm missing you when you you don't come out for for a drink with me. That's a very different connotation than you saying or me saying to you, you didn't come out for a drink the other night and I really missed you for doing that because actually you were out of order for not doing it. You're not going to want to come out for a drink sure. with me. <laughs> sure. And a lot of things you're saying there um, are transferable skills yeah. outside of the arena of mental health. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, good listening skills, as you said, mm. um, I, I indicate like I'm listening that, but how then do you actually know I'm yeah. listening? Yeah. The whole whole notion of paraphrasing, the, the ability to be actively listening, because how can you, it's like breathing. How do you know you can to tell somebody's breathing, you can only really see if they're breathing heavily f- up yes. and down, up and down. It's something that's subtle. Yeah. And many times we get in trouble in life whereby we have not listened. No. How many couples are having arguments because one of them says you don't listen mm. to mm. me? Mm. You know, you didn't acknowledge what I yes. just said. Yes. So these are skills, these are practical skills that you can you can build yes. outside of yes. yourself. Um, I just was, was going to ask you again, not again, about the alpha male. Mm. I'm a bit selfish. I'm talking about my, <laughs> my upbringing. In terms of, you know, you, you get the public's perception of men being a certain way. Mm. Um, so speaking out in terms of your your feelings, um, how, what sort of tools and what sort of encouragement would you say to to a guy who thinks he's he-man <laughs> but feels like a mouse inside? What would you say? Well, I think the first thing that I would suggest is, um, again, first and foremost, is listening to to for the triggers for that mouse, yeah. um, because you know he men won't won't come off their pedestal. They won't want to do that. But it's actually thinking for me around the impact that it's having um, on on people, and you can um, ask of people, those he-man or he-men, mm-hmm. you can make positive requests of them. Like, I would really like to talk, sit down and talk to you uh, because I feel as though I'm missing out on some particular things that you want to tell me. Has a very different connotation from saying, you know, if you stop being a he-man, then I, <laughs> I can talk to you. So, there, you know, those, those yeah. are the first things yeah. I would suggest is that you're not actually going to take on the he-man you want to take on, you want to talk to the mouse inside. So you want to be able to say, I'd really like to just find out a bit more about how you are. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and, and that doesn't then sound accusatory as saying, I've, 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 I'm, I've missed the, the connection. Um, I'd, you know, am I right or wrong in thinking yeah. that there's something that I could do differently to help? You know, you can say a lot about how you, we can always change our own behaviors. We can't change others. So instead of taking on the the incredible Hulk, mm. you actually want to say what what is the impact that this is having? It's those sort of coaching questions that okay. I would say would be helpful. Is what's the impact of of having to feel um, that you want to be or need to be a he man in the situation we've. I'm finding myself in with you yeah. has a very different way of being able to pick it up and to say, look, 
I'd actually would rather like to talk to to the person who you know I married or I you know I, I'm with at the moment. Um, you don't. I, I would really appreciate it if you weren't like that around me. You see, and this is the kind of stuff you do not get when you watch the news about <laughs> these new mental health in, initiatives about men talking. You don't get this richness in terms of practical skills that you can pick up. I do suggest that you. You listen to this podcast several times, you go back, listen to it and hear what Catherine is saying, practice some of these things as, as, as examples, because they will change the way that you communicate because at the crux of it, communication is by ensuring that someone is receiving the message that you want to deliver mm-hmm. in the way that you want them to receive it. Mm-hmm. And many times people get have miscommunication because they're not communicated effectively, yeah. Yeah. you know, to, to no fault of their own. It just... Words are very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And we I see it in my practice where people from different ethnicities um, communicate on mm-hmm. different yeah. levels. And so what do you do when you come from an environment whereby men are the alpha male, mm-hmm. have to be alpha men, but then then now with the direction of travel, with um, um, equality acts, um, women's empowerment, all of these st- stuff happening, which is right and it should be that way. But then you are raised <laughs> with a mindset that belongs in yeah. a different century. I think the important thing is that I'm sharing these because it's not necessarily that I want to help. You're right. They are. Um, you can share these and use these skills anywhere. But I, I think for me, the, the, the crux of this in the message is, is to how to encourage men to talk to other men about their experiences, because uh, you know, I don't know what it's like to have to be a he-man all the time. I don't know all those aspects, mm-hmm. but I do know that I've got some particular skills. And if nothing else from th- this discussion, I think the first and foremost um, tip I always give families is to talk in the first person rather than the third person. It's You can sound a lot more critical mm-hmm. if you say he did this, she yeah. did that, he did that. Exactly. If you'd done that, I wouldn't have felt that because you can instantly hear the tone of my voice changing. Yeah. If I said to you, I, it's much more difficult to be critical of you if I talk to you in the first person. So I have to say, I was really concerned about you, <laughs> Douglas. Yeah. It, it feels, but if I took your name out of it and talked to you as though you're not in the room... I would instantly feel a lot more powerful and that would be power robbing. Mm. So the first thing I often say to families is start talking, use their people's names, talk to them as though they're in the room. Don't change your voice. Try to avoid inauthentic feedback. So, you know, oh, you look fine when perfectly is very obvious you don't say I'm concerned that that you don't look as well as I as I, I thought you 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 were you were doing a couple of weeks ago. Sure. So there are those bits that I would say the first and foremost is try and talk to somebody in the first person as though they're in the room with you and that you're being um direct and concerned and showing the respect that that person deserves by just the tone of your voice and the way that you are uh, communicating and looking at them and dis- expressing concern without it seeming as though you are blaming them for whatever. And I think that's the first yeah. top tip I would give. Okay. In terms of the blame or being judgmental. Yes. You know, yeah. Um, what, what, what's your view about um, the environment that men to men typically have conversations? And I'm talking about, um, say, the pub environment um, across 
a football, watching a football game. What, what's your take on their actual their environment being conducive or being uh, um, obstructing yeah. that healthy dialogue? That well, it's, it, just even that, just you suggesting that is about the environment. It was interesting. A few years ago, I worked with a, a son and and his father. And one of the tips that we we share in communication in, in, in the point that I was just making about how you demonstrate that you are being authentic, it's about whether you maintain eye contact. And often when we lose our self-esteem, our eye contact drops. And because our, so does our, yeah. our, our whole, disme- you know, whole demeanour. So uh, in this family, well, this father and son, son said, oh, don't make my dad look at me. And it was very powerful because, and his dad said, well, you know, why? I want to to know how you are. But this lad had said, no, because that that feels too close. So there's something that when you are practicing and want to raise somebody's self-esteem, you can't just do it by looking at them. You have to be able to do it in the tone of the voice as well as. So that's the environment. What does, what's the best place? So and some people actually do find it easier to talk at a football match. They do find it easier to talk when somebody is driving because you don't have to have that eye contact at first. Yeah, Practicing those bits. True. So I will say, why you know, why not have choose an environment where actually you both feel comfortable? That sitting over a you know a table or something in a cafe might be one way, but for other people, no way that's too intrusive. Mm. I feel like I'm an exam. So it's about choosing your right place. Where do you feel most comfortable? Quite a lot of people, you know, walking along the street will suddenly give you a signal that that's the best place to speak, yeah. and they will be saying something like, "Well, I haven't felt great." And then that's your point to say, I've been concerned too, but you're not staring the other person out. You're not then sitting in a, in an environment. And I think in my observations of men, um, and I'm, I'm, one of the things that I want to do with these uh, with future podcasts is actually get some of the my male colleagues and some of the, the experts that I know, including yourself, is to actually practice the skills and then talk about how you might use them. Because- I, I think that it's very useful to to test these things out. That I'm not suggesting that any of the things that I'm coming up are actually the the wonder drug, and they're going to sort everything out. Mm-hmm. But there's something about practicing, yes. and so when you're thinking about where's the best place, you now for goodness sake, why does everybody try and? I, I mean, I uh, I think it's really important. Why does everybody try and talk about the most important points when somebody's just got in from work? I mean, it's just <laughs> ludicrous. Why do they do it? I've been ambushed like that many, many times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All of us know that it's the least time, if you've driven home or you've done something, it's the least time to talk to anybody. So we know that there are times in our calendars yeah. which are far better at talking to each other than others. We know that there are far better times to to think, right, well, actually, if I'm going to have the television on, I'm going to have the radio on in the distance, you know, there's music playing upstairs by somebody. Mm-hmm. It's just not a good time. It's, it's about negotiating as well to say, I really would like to have some really quality time. And I don't, don't think I'm going to be able to achieve this unless I turn the television off. Sure. So, so in those scenarios, they're, they're quite clear too two people involved there's a person asking for Absolutely. their help yeah. and the person receiving yeah. the, the, the challenging situation 
Mm. You know, um, so if you're playing the role of, say, you you suspect that a friend of yours is um, going through some sort of crisis, mm. you know, how do you prepare yourself for that? You talked about you know, obviously give people time to come in to settle. Um, there's also this, this power dynamic that mm. people don't really talk about in terms of how we exchange information. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it stems with like, if me and you stop talking right now, there's a, there's a quickening that happening. Somebody wants to talk because you have to fill in the gaps. And a lot of clinicians do that when they're um, speaking with their patients, mm. you know, um, not allowing to embrace the silence because mm. they need to fill the, fill the gaps in. Um, when you do fill the gaps in, do you feel that then you're losing the ability to be more neutral and you're becoming more automatically prescriptive? Yes. I'm telling you what to do yeah. because yeah. You, you're yeah. quite clearly yeah. not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. so to save time, yeah. we often jump in. Yeah. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make an assumption that you're not okay. I'm going to tell you. And that's where it's sort of um it's 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 robbing the other person the opportunity to actually express it because I'm just going to make the assumption that you're just sitting here saying that um, because you actually want to invite me. So the wise person steps back a bit. Even if somebody is is, is perhaps being very over-talkative, often that's because somebody feels very, very anxious yes. and they don't want to, to let go. I know that I've worked with, with many families where there is a, there's a talk hog and I know that often that's because somebody doesn't, can't feel, if I stop, that means it's going to make me very sad. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. I've, I've seen that. And it's an interesting um, example. You, you, you're talking there about the, the talk, constantly talking, talking. Also, what I found as well to complement that is when people tend to have a lot of stress and a lot of issues, they play these scenarios out in their mind where they can either play the victim or victor in their heads. And that space, the environment that Catherine, you spoke about earlier, creating that environment. If the person chooses to use that environment to be still and quiet, that might be the first opportunity they've had mm. to just be still yes. and quiet. Yeah. And then you potentially could ruin it by jumping in <laughs> and just talking, talking. So this whole embracing silence mm. is mm. something that I think people need a lot of training to, yes. to do. I know, yeah. I know certainly me when I was um, newly qualified, I just didn't like the silence. I, I end up becoming um, conscious of myself mm. and my limitations. So I'll yeah. just, just, just talk. Mm. Um, I've got slowly wised up to this talking slowly and, you know, concentrate my breathing, concentrate on something else while the other person's processing and not feeling pressurized to finish there and then. Yes. Because yeah. If you're helping somebody going through crisis, you don't have to find the solution in that moment. No, no, no. And actually some of those quality um, opportunities only need to be a few minutes. They don't have to be hours and hours. You know, you're not being your friend's therapist. Yeah. You know, you really are just wanting to signpost and signal that you are somebody to speak to and that there's somebody that you can just step back a bit. The silence has worked. You've actually said, I've noticed. Yeah. And then you've actually said, I'd like to help sure. without it being, I'm now going to say what the solution is, because that's not 
that's what the nature of the, the you know, men to men, forgive me, you might want to the, the, interrupt me, but I think there's something for me, but, you know, the man to man process isn't there to be, a, you're not there to solve it. And yeah. I think that's the bit about the how is, um, it's being able to to express that and share it as, as between men and then being able to say, right, have I got any ideas? Exactly. And I think um, let's use some sound to express it. When you're helping somebody or you're, you're providing an environment to facilitate somebody that's going through crisis, right? You're, you're going from this type of scenario, yeah? And you would at least try to get them to be at the end of it, right? But that's not the case. That's the reality. It doesn't work that like that. And right. that can make you feel inadequate that you cannot take the pain away. Mm-hmm. You cannot take some of those burdens away. Yeah. Catherine, what you said there was so profound that you're just, you're not there to solutionize. Mm-hmm. The solution has to come from the person that is experiencing it. Yeah. You know, you're just creating the right emotional space, yeah. maybe physical environment, you know, whereby they can explore and if you ask the right questions in the coaching way, mm. they will find the right solutions for yeah. them. Yeah. Because the worst thing you could do is give give somebody a prescription based upon your yeah. <laughs> vantage point, based upon your life experiences. Yeah. That doesn't work for the yeah. individual. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the idea that if you're using somebody's name and you're using somebody, you're talking to people um, directly, you're less likely to get your message misconstrued. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but my my family always tells tells talks to me my full name when I'm done something. And they, that create, they want me they to they create names for me yes. as well. <laughs> so the ad fillers. <laughs> I didn't know that's my name, but yeah, that's your name today. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is when when I really need to be taken seriously, I get the full the full name and I know yeah. then it's a bit like oh I've got to really listen yeah. and I've got to I've got to be on and I know that I've that's worked for me mm. when I've been working with people who are really seriously distressed yes. I know that I've had to cut through some of the very high level of emotion they're expressing themselves in a different way and I know that if I've used their name then I'm much more likely to have got through to them in a way that would say in in the same way that it, it means that people know that you're talking to them. Yeah, the name the name is very yeah. very important. I think a lot of people um, underrate names. Yes, you know when, when the most beautiful name in the world is your own name. Mm. That's mm. what my mom told me at mm. a very young age. The most beautiful name in the world is going to be your own name. Mm. So always respect other people's names and yes. try to direct them. Yeah, try to um, address them as such. Mm. I have a bad habit of not remembering names. No. I'm serious. I have a bad habit. Um, that's something I know I need to work on because mm. as we're speaking, you're so, it just brings it home. Some of these little tweaks that we can do in our lives and, and being able to treat people as individuals yes. begins with yeah. the name that they were given yeah. by their parents. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know? so. And I think, I mean, you talked about it before about culturally how we're, we need to consider very much around 
the importance of the way we pronounce and the way we speak to each other and the manner in which, and we're working, you know, you and I are living and working in, in an environment at the moment where that isn't. At the moment, we're not using really pure communication skills because we're listening out for things that people are to agree with ourselves about what we're confirming. We're not listening to actually learn more about the other person. And I think that's the bit for me around man-to-man communication is to think, am I listening for this because Mm. I want my own, I'm interpreting my own feelings or my own thoughts upon them, or am I actually listening out for some really new bit of knowledge about this person? And I think latterly, when you think about that in the first first instance, I think we're doing far too much of the first. I'm listening out to see whether I'm finding somebody to agree with me rather than actually listening out for somebody who is going to challenge me or is going to make me think the world slightly differently. And when somebody is very low or very down, you will be, they will not be clear about those clues and they will be thinking Mm. they just want me to confirm to them that I'm all right. And in fact, I'm not. So you just, that's just a self-fulfilling prophecy that you'll just become more low. Wow. Wow. That again, that's so, so profound because nobody taught me how to reflect. No, exactly. Nobody does. And, 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 and that's the bit that we don't have any really pure communication skills. I had the luxury, admittedly, it was for the brownies, but I had the luxury of going to see some brownies in a local brownie club. And I taught them mm. some of the simple communication skills and they were so astute and so sensible about the skills, about listening, about how to make requests, how to say something positive to each other, particularly around saying positive things, because they sort of said, yeah, well, you feel a bit bit better, don't you, yeah. if somebody says something nice to you? Yeah. And it's true, you do. And if you mean it and say it in an authentic way, it does raise your self-esteem. And these little people knew that that's what they wanted and knew that what the value of that is. And I think that we have a lot to learn from people who want to give, uh, you know, you, attitudes infectious is yours worth catching is a really well, important saying. Yep. Uh, that's, can you say it one more time? Do <laughs> you know what? I need to keep a mental note. <laughs> attitudes infectious is yours worth catching. Wow. And yours always is actually, Douglas. Yeah. So don't yeah, no, think, yes, oh, wow. no, it is no, good. No, that, that's, that's excellent. Um, reflecting back without bias is something that we all need, yeah. to, need to develop, playing both roles, mm-hmm. playing the role of somebody that might be going through a challenging time, need to express it. And also as a listener, you need to also be able to take a, take a step back and reflect. As Catherine said, um, what are you trying to get out of the situation? Are you seeking validation? You know, yeah. Um, and if if so, uh, why are you seeking the validation? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the answers to those questions might be the answers might help you resolve the actual problem that yes. you have. Yeah. Because yeah. when I ask um young people when I do coaching young people and we try to go go setting, they will tell me their goal is to become say a footballer or scientist, whatever. That's never their real goal. Mm. It's never the real goal. It's in all my experience doing it, the first thing they'll say to me is never really what they want to do. If I hang in there, acknowledge them as individuals, remember their names. Yeah. <laughs> have, have that conversation. 
they'll they'll reveal that they wanted to be something else, but maybe because they're coming from a high pressurized family, high flying family, they have to go this route, you know. But hanging there long enough, they will say, actually, this is what I really want to do. This is what I really have a passion for. And I always ask them, what makes your heart sing? When they get confused, I don't know what I want. I said, what actually makes your heart sing? What actually um, excites you, drives you, that you don't need motivation to do? You're going to do it anyway. Mm. You know, the guy who said to me that he wanted to be a footballer, he needs motivation to mm. play football. And that motivation is coming from his father mm. because his father was an ex, ex-professional footballer mm. and deemed that his son yes. should also go that route. But this guy doesn't like football. No. He, so he, every to every Sunday, he's anxious, going through all of these um, um, behavioural um, signs that he doesn't like it, but the father is saying, no, my son's going to play football. So being able to contextualise what somebody else is saying can only come from you sitting with them long enough. Absolutely. And if I was with that dad and his son, the only person who can, that both of them, um, I would encourage them to make positive requests of each other. So for example, Mm. um, you know, if this young lad doesn't want to play football every Sunday, it's a, you don't take that, that on immediately. Mm. You practice the skill of asking um, making requests of each other of a non-political or non-argumentative basis. So, you, you know, okay. you practice doing the skill of saying, uh, you know, you, the outcome would be that one day I'm going to use this to actually say to my dad, I'd really appreciate it if I didn't have to go every Sunday to play football because it means that I can't perfect the skill that I love doing cycling. I'd much rather be doing that exactly, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So. In that instance, rather than taking that on, because I can do that because I'm not emotionally involved in it. So if you practice using the skills of making a, a request, but doing it sort of like saying, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you could help me in the garden and then seeing how that actually does come, you know, what's the effects of, of having that positive request and using it in a, in a way that would have, you would see the results yeah. and therefore your confidence grows. So then you latterly then be able to take on those more difficult things. So I always encourage families or who, you know, again, men to, to consider practicing the skills in those orders. So you say, you know, you start practicing listening, you start making very positive things to each other. You then start making um, making requests of each other and then you can make concern because if you start it the other way around yeah. you're in for a disaster because <laughs> I'm going to express concern and then I'm going to make a positive request that you change and then I'm going to maybe be nice to you and yeah. then I might listen yeah. has a very yeah. different way around than, so if you're with that young super you know person who just feels that oh, I'm only doing this because dad wants mm. me to you then have given them some 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 extra skill to be able to say, I'd like to really practice that. I'd like to be able to to know how to make a request without it actually having some sort of blame attached to it. It's not that I don't want to learn how to play football. Yeah. I just, I, do, I feel unhappy when that does it and I don't like the impact that's having on me. And you see the difference. The difference here is you're empowering the young person to have a dialogue yeah. with their own father. Yeah, and not saying, I don't like that, Dad. You're you're terrible, exactly, Dad. Yeah. You're, you know, I don't want to be you, Dad. Mm. Yes, I do want, I want you to be proud of me. I just don't think I can do it through football. Sounds sure. very different 
than than it does if you do it the, the do it the other way around and you do it the you bit exactly and see these these um skills you you've um zoned in um, and honed in over many many years and this is the t- kind of stuff that you're disseminating in your man to man platform yeah. you know give giving men the ability to have these difficult conversations to be able to not feel anyway less of a man mm. by discussing the inner mouse mm. you know oh that's uh, a lovely analogy <laughs> <laughs> um yeah <laughs> but um you know in, in my mouse voice but yeah it's 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 it's, it's deeply um it's timely should i say because this in this the world that we have now it doesn't require a lot of testosterone let's be honest the days that you need to hulk out and you can be in a pit, mine coal, push heavy machinery, all of that kind of stuff, those jobs are gone. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more men having this testosterone built up and they don't know how to channel it. Mm. They don't know how to express it. Mm. So the first thing is you need to learn what it, what it is in terms of the physiology, what's happening. Mm. And then all the techniques you have to reach out and get the support that you need. And also be, be a vessel for other people mm-hmm. to lean on you as well. Because man to man, as, 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 as the slogan reads, is each one teach one. Yes. It's, it's a self-help environment whereby men can help each other mm-hmm. and manage their health and well-being. Yeah. So thank you for yeah, asking me. <laughs> no, no, no. Catherine, it was a blessing. It was, um, I'm deeply honored. This this is possibly the, my my most nerve wracking podcast ever. Can you imagine doing a podcast with your mentor? It's not straightforward because <laughs> she knows all my weaknesses. It's not straightforward, <laughs> you know. So we we're now in a very small room, so I'm not surprised it's very nerve wracking. So thank you ever so much for inviting me and being part of this. Yeah, sure. And um, this is it's part one. We're going to do um some follow up podcasts in regards to that now at your practice um conversations that you can listen to and see if you can reenact them yourself in your environment until you become off faith with the skills. Don't worry about feeling a bit mechanical when you first start doing it and say, I feel like a droid. That's supposed to happen up until you practice so much that it becomes second nature, like addressing yeah. people. I'd just add to that lastly, that we, that I talked to two family members um, as part of a workshop and they did exactly that all the way home, practicing these one particular communication skill. And they said afterwards that they were laughing hysterically <laughs> because they thought it was just the funniest thing. And I found that I took such pleasure from that because what they then, re- when they came back and told me how they'd got on learning that skill, and they told me about how much laughter they'd really shocked themselves because it had been the first time they'd heard themselves laugh for many years. And I Brilliant. felt very humbled by the fact Brilliant. that even if it doesn't work it outright, if it, you do something and it makes you smile and makes you laugh and makes you think, mm. God, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Actually, that's going to lighten your load and yes. make you feel a bit more positive about some of the mental health issues that perhaps you're encountering. Excellent. And that, that is the mic drop to end this session. <laughs> so <laughs> we had a fabulous time. Thanks a lot, Catherine. We'll be in touch soon with part two and part three. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Have a safe week, people. We out. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. 
subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life. Make life boom. Boom.